Brilliant. Um, the story is often depicted as the underdog, isn't it? The underdog um, winning against a far superior, a far greater opponent than the underdog. And everyone loves the underdog. And it's often depicted in the media as this. And they use this picture of David and this giant Goliath to make their point. Let's have a look at a picture in the media. Ciao. Look at this. You know, in the media, today's David and Goliath. You see that there, a soldier about to shoot this poor boy. This huge tank in the Middle East and a boy almost with a sling there throwing a stone at it. But this picture is also used in sporting events. Next picture. Anyone remember this fight? I saw this fight. Look at the size of this guy. And it's actually just happened to be that the British boxer, the one on the left, uh, it's called David. So it's billed as David versus Goliath. And the guy was huge. Um, you want fans to get in the ring with him? However, David won. Amen? He got him. And there's this big Russian dude who really looked like a gentle giant, really. You see... The whole idea of this picture of biggie guy and a small guy um, is not quite right, the way the media depict it. You see, there is a natural realm of what we see and what we hear, and there is the spiritual realm of we, we don't necessarily see here all the time. But when the spiritual begins to move, we need to be discerning. The spirit is often depicted like the wind. You see someone's hat gets blown off. You see the leaves come off the trees and the, and the branches get blown about. You can see the wind moving. And that too is the same as the spirit. Maybe you remember in Daniel chapter 10 where Daniel prayed. Remember this? And it took 21 days for the archangel Michael to come down. Remember this? It says in the text that the archangel Michael was held up by the prince of Persia. Obviously, it wasn't the prince of Persia, but it was the spirit that controlled the prince of Persia. And there he is, Michael, in the spiritual realm, fighting with this prince of Persia, this demonic being and then he says to Daniel but your prayer was heard and it was heard from day one from the first day your prayer was heard now we often hear this in church and in Christian books of this spiritual realm of this unseen spiritual warfare and maybe it's used and spoken about so often and we have to ask the question do we really believe it have we seen enough to say, I can believe this? Or even for a beginning to entertain the notion that there is true spiritual warfare. Now, I'm not saying that every time you lock the keys in your house, a demon did it, okay? I don't think there's a demon behind every teapot. Or if you missed the train, it was because of a demon. It's because you ate that extra croissant on the way to the train station, but you can blame a demon if you like. 
Ephesians 6.12 is a well-known verse. Let me read it. It says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. This is what Paul is saying. Our enemies, not flesh and blood, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. We all know this verse well. Paul wasn't kidding. Paul wasn't joking. There were spiritual forces at work in his day, in the day of Jesus, and in our day, in a sense, controlling and having an influence in the so-called natural realm. Do you believe that? Have you seen it? Have you witnessed it? It is real. Do you ever say to yourself, what, what's going on? What is, maybe you say it every day, what's going on? When you meet strange behavior and people behave in a strange way to you, and you think, well, that's a little bit uncalled for. That's a little bit out of the ordinary, a little bit strange. That is the influence of the unseen world. So we're going to be looking at this in this passage of David and Goliath in First Samuel chapter 17 this morning. Now, let me just set the scene before we get into the passage. Um, Israel and, Phil- and the Philistines are at war again. Okay, It's almost a perpetual war between the Philistines and Israel as we look in the Old Testament. So let's begin. Let's just read from verse 1 through verse 3. And by the way, I see this as a historical story. As I said last week when I had that reality and that revelation of Jesus, I don't look at these Old Testament stories or New Testament stories as kid stories. I see them as history and real. And let's read about this. So verse 1 of 1 Samuel chapter 17 says, Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered in Soko, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Soko and Ezkar in Ephesus, Damim. That's not the first scripture you want to read in the morning. And Saul, who's the king of Israel, and his men of Israel were gathered together. And they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side. And Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them. You can get this picture. An army on one side, another army going down into a valley. And at the bottom, there is a stream. Let's get a picture of that. You see this? This is the battle where it took place in Elah. See the Israelite army position up on a mountain, down the valley to the stream. Or to the brook, and up the other side where the Philistines' army position is held. And let's have a look in Israel today. There it really is. So if you want to go to the valley where this all kicked off and took place between David and Goliath, you can go there if they let you in. Now look, this is a standoff. It's like one of the old spaghetti westerns. And it's a case of who's going to go first? Whose daddy's bigger than the other daddy, essentially. Um, And then we get this character, don't we? Let's have a look in verse 4. 
Verse 4 says, And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines. His name is what, people? Goliath. And he's from a place called Gath, which is up there, look, bottom right-hand corner, whose height was six cubits and a span. He was a big dude. Charles, next picture. There he is, okay? And here's a description as we look through the, pa- uh, the passages of what he looked like. Not only was he tall, he had a bronze helmet on his head. He had a coat of chainmail, bronze armor on his legs, and a bronze javelin. The staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. It was thick and heavy. And the iron spearhead alone weighed 600 shekels. That's 15 pounds, okay? 15 pound weight. Is that intimidating or what? Can you imagine the Israelites? Well, we're going to send out our top boy. And out comes Goliath. Says, yeah, come on, let's, let's have it. It's all intimidating, isn't it? Now, that's what the enemy tries to do. Now, think about this in your own life. Monday, Tuesday afternoon, Thursday night. The enemy of the unseen realm uses things and situations to intimidate you. Has anyone experienced this before, spiritually? Just Andy. Andy, you're more spiritual than everyone else. Maybe you haven't seen it. Maybe you think it's just something part of the natural realm. Because the enemy uses situations and people to intimidate. To intimidate means this, to scare, to terrify, but it's also something which is very, very sinister and menacing. Now, last week I gave my testimony. Um, After giving the testimony, Chelsea said to me, there's now going to be trouble. There's now going to be trouble. Now, listen to this. This is not going to seem unusual, what I'm going to say to you. And some of you are going to giggle, and that's fine. The other day, Chelsea went out with Teddy for walkies, okay? And Chelsea was going towards a field on her own in the middle of nowhere. And she heard someone wolf whistle her. That's fine. She's a pretty gal. You can imagine some guy doing it. However, she looked around, and there was nobody there. She looked behind the bush. There was nobody there. But she heard it very clearly and instinctively. And actually, the Lord brought along a sister in the faith, Paula, who pulled alongside, just so happened to be passing by in a field in the middle of nowhere. And they actually had a time of prayer. So God is good. Amen? He always brings along a brother or sister in the situation. Now, Chelsea told me about the story. And because she's my wife, I believed her. Amen? That's the wise thing to do, isn't it? Your wife tells you something. You say, yes, honey, I believe you. Although it may sound a little strange. A couple of days pass. I say, nothing of it. Chelsea comes home in a van. And I go out to meet her. I step out the door. And I hear this wolf whistle myself. Very clear. But I can't tell you the distance. It was here, but it was over there. It was everywhere. And Chelsea wound down the window, and I said to her, ah, did you just wolf whistle me? 
I really thought it was her. She's never done it before. I don't know why I thought it was her. She goes, no, it wasn't me. And then it clicked. This sinister style of wolf whistle, just to say, we know where you are. We're here. Because we know where Chelsea was, and we know where you are. You can see that? That's intimidation. That's threatening. That field now has been prayed over. Amen? It's been covered by the blood of the lamb, including Teddy. Okay? But that's how intimidation very subtly works in the unseen spiritual realm. Now, this is the outward appearance of Goliath. Now, look at this. Verse 8. This is what he said. Then he, Goliath, stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come to line up for battle? I am a Philistine, and you, the servants of Saul, choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. Now, this is interesting because he says, I am a Philistine. You are the servants of Saul. The answer to this is both yes and no. We are servants of Saul, but not quite. Now, let me explain this. Goliath is using a tactic. It's a very clever tactic. And it's to get people to think and see only in the natural realm. It's called suggestive language. This is very clever. I didn't consider this until I've read this story recently. He's saying that you are servants of Saul to get you to think and to see only in the natural realm. This will come apparent as we go along, okay? Now, Goliath is indeed a Philistine, but he's not coming in the name of the Philistines. I don't know if you've noticed this before in Scripture. He is not coming in the name of the Philistines, but he's coming in the name of his gods. Look with me in verse 43. We get it later. The truth comes out when David confronts him. It says, and the Philistine cursed David by his, what? Gods. Not one god, by his gods. Gods. Ancient times and even times up to the First, Second World War and everything else, people seek supernatural help. They make sacrifices to demons when they go into battle. Now, the Philistines worship two particular gods. They worship many, but there's two in particular. The first one is called Dagon. He's the father of the crops or the father of the, or the god of the crops or the grain. But he's also known as the father of Baal. You heard of this god, Baal, whom Jesus was accused of being aligned with, Beelzebub and Baal, lord of the flies. But there was another god, or should I say goddess, that the Philistines worship called Ashtoreth. Ashtoreth. Now, she was the goddess of sexual love. I did say that in church on a Sunday. And war. She's the god of sexual love and war. And these Philistines going into battle with the children of Israel 
would pray to them. They would make a sacrifice to them and an offering to them. Now, look, this may sound a little far-fetched. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I want to take it into the New Testament so you can see it. Not just in the ministry of our Lord, but in the ministry of the Apostle Paul, talking about sacrifices. And he's saying to those at Corinth, flee from idolatry. And he says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20. He said, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, so they make sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. Paul understood the supernatural spiritual realm that even then in Corinth, that they were making sacrifices to that which is demonic. So, the defender of Israel is who? God. It's Yahweh. And Goliath is using a clever tactic to say, you're in the flesh. Check this out. Goliath says, you are the servants of Saul. Turn to um, 1 Samuel chapter 16. First Samuel 16, in verse 14, we hear about Saul. It says, But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. Saul had lost favor with God. He no longer had the anointing from God to lead the people of God in the power of the Spirit. He is in the flesh. In fact, the only way he could soothe this problem, if you look in verse 23, and so it was whenever the spirit from God was upon Saul, this distressing spirit, that David would take a harp and play it to his hand. Then Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. The only way he could get deliverance is with God's anointing leading worship. That's an interesting picture. Take from it what you will. Now, look what Goliath says, verse 10, 1 Samuel 17. He said this, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all of Israel heard those words of the Philistines, they were dismayed, and greatly afraid. Why? Because they're operating in the flesh. They are simply servants of Saul, a leader with no anointing from God. They're simply following a man who can't lead. They're following a man who's not going to lead them in battle because they lost this connection. And without the Spirit, he becomes powerless. Without the Spirit, they become Fearful. Without the Spirit, there's no direction. And my concern for the children of God today is this. This is the same in many churches. Where they're not being led by the Spirit, but led by the flesh. They will fall for every tactic of the enemy. Can you see that? See, God wants to be the one to lead his church. 
He wants to be the one to lead the church by the Holy Spirit and raises up leaders. And my personal view is this, that the church of God for many years now is under a spiritual attack. An unseen warfare, and it's based on the fact that they don't believe. They have no anointing. Many have lost this anointing of God. And the reason why is this, they're not doing things in line with God. And I would say the spiritual attack on the church of Jesus Christ today is the spirit of Jezebel. Would you agree? You know about this. They've left themselves open to this. And I think the answer is found, look with me, in Isaiah Chapter 24. This is a feminine spirit. If you haven't watched it, there's a chap called Spencer Smith. And he did a whole series called The Divine Feminine. Watch it. Isaiah chapter 24 verse 5. The earth is defiled under its inhabitants because they have transgressed the laws and changed the ordinance and broken the everlasting covenant. Now, this is my view, okay? You may disagree, and that's absolutely fine. You can disagree with me and still get to heaven. That's not a problem. My view is this. And it's not a popular view. But we're not here to be popular. I'm certainly not here to be popular. I don't believe that women have been ordained to be leaders in the church of Jesus Christ. I think the Bible makes it very clear. Our ancestors understood it. It's been historically attested. I'm not against women. I'm married to one and my mother is one. I love women. It's not a problem, okay? I was once trapped in a woman's body. Her name was Joanne. She's my mum. But when God says he wants it this way, he wants it this way. This is his ordinance. Now, look at the outworking of this. This is what I see as a judgment. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 3. Isaiah chapter 3, of course these are principles, therefore you can disagree, it's, that's absolutely fine. But in chapter 3 of the prophet Isaiah, we read about judgment on Judah and Jerusalem. Verse 12 says, as for my people, children are their oppressors and women rule over them. I don't know how you think about the Western world today. Let me just read that again. As for my people, children are their oppressors. I think of this when I hear Londoners say they don't come, not just Londoners, but British people, they don't go at the house anymore. And women rule over them. You see, all the enemy has to do is change the ordinance. And then you lose spiritual power. 
This is the way God ordained it. A man is changing it. Why? Because they're conforming to the world with the hope of winning people to God. But all they do is win worldly people to God. Can you see that? You may disagree with it, and that's absolutely fine. But this is what I see. And when that spirit, which is a feminine spirit, comes into the church of God, I believe it's defiled because it goes against God. And let me just say, it's a very powerful spirit. It was powerful enough for Elijah, the man of God who called down fire, to run at the spirit of Jezebel and hide and lay down and say, I want to die. That spirit comes against you. It's a very fierce spirit, the spirit of Jezebel. Let us be warned about that. Now, Despite all this, however, 1 John 2.20 says this about the children of God, about Christians today. 1 John 2.20 says, But you, believers, have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know the truth. We heard a lot about truth last week. Truth is not a concept. Truth is a person, and his name is Jesus. And ultimately, when people are looking for truth, if they can open up the hearts, Christ will come to them. The Bible says your word is truth, the spirit is truth, and Jesus is truth. The clever tactic of Goliath, you see, is that these kids of Israel, these soldiers of Israel, are just simply servants of Saul. But that's not the case. You may be part of such and such church But actually, we are servants of God Most High. Amen? Say God Most High. That's whom you serve. No matter what church you belong to, they are servants of God Most High, but maybe they've forgotten about it. And they've been brought into the flesh. No wonder they're fearful and dismayed and afraid and hiding. King Saul is not the man anymore. His anointing is gone He is no longer fit to lead. Now, look, back to the battle. We read about Jesse, the Bethlehemite. You know who Jesse is? David's daddy, right? He has eight sons. And three of the eldest sons are gone with Saul into battle. The standoff now has been 40 days. Let's read about it from verse 16. Now, the Philistines drew near... And presented himself 40 days, morning and evening. He's coming out saying, come on, where's your top boy? Here I am. And they were hiding behind rocks and in crevices and everything else. Probably saying to one another, you go, you go. 40 days. 17 says, then Jesse said to his son David, now take your brothers an ephah of dried grain and ten loaves, And run to your brothers at the camp and carry those ten cheeses to the captain of the thousand and see how your brothers fare and bring back news to them. There's the bread. Go and bring it to your brothers and the grain and everything else. Take the good cheese to butter up the leaders and find out what's going on and bring back news to me. Now, here's an interesting thing about David. Yes, he's the youngest, but he had a special anointing from God. 
First Samuel, let's have a look. First Samuel chapter 12. Now, verse 12, 1 Samuel 16, speaking of King David, or David at this time. Now he was ruddy, with bright eyes, and good-looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, this is the one. Arise, anoint him, this word is for Mashiach. He is the one that I'm calling Look in verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, who's going to do the anointing, do not look at his appearance or his physical structure, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not look as man sees. For man looks upon the outward appearance, but God looks upon the heart. You see, Samuel was looking at his other brother, saying, surely it's got to be this guy. He's tall and everything else. And this is, this is the guy, the, the eldest's. But the Lord is saying, no, this is the one. David is the one. Now, I've got a theory on David. My personal theory is this, and it's of great importance. I believe that David was ginger. <laughs> Ruddy translates into red or reddish, like Esau. And I think Solomon was also ginger. Now, these are in the line, of course, from Jesus' line. So Jesus could have been ginger. Amen? It's possible. I reckon David was a fiery redhead because they tend to be fiery. Yeah? Yeah? But look, he had an anointing on him. He had this anointing. Now, let's have a look what David sees. He's gone there. He's gone to the battle. He's been obedient to his father. He's taken the bread, the grain. He's taken the cheese. And he's gone to the front line. Let's have a look. Verse 21. 1 Samuel 17, 21. Well done for keeping up. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array... Um, against army against army and David left his supplies in the hands of the supply keeper and he ran to the army and came to greet his brothers then as he talked with them there was the champion the Philistine of Gath Goliath by name coming out from the armies of the Philistines and he spoke according to the same words so David heard them, come on, where's your man? Bring your man here, let's go down into the valley and just scrap, let's have it out. Poor David. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. They had no leadership, they're fearful. God's anointed was no longer God's anointed. So the men of Israel said this, verse 25, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, 
the king will enrich with great riches and give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. And David is like, come again? Verse 26. Then David spoke to the men who stood by, saying, uh, Remind me, what should be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the approach of Israel? Oh, you get great riches. Wonderful. And you get to marry his daughter. This is good. And your father now becomes tax exempt. This is not bad. But he does say this. And this is where his heart is at. He's just double-checking the reward. That's fine. We're allowed rewards. But he says this. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? That's what's got David. David has come and heard this big bloke from Gath. And he's saying, who the hell is this bloke? Who does he think he is? And why are you lot scared and running anyway? David has come out with righteous anger. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Uncircumcised? He hasn't even got a covenant with the living God. And you lot are running? You ever get righteous anger? You do? I certainly do. I get righteous anger really at people who claim to be Christian but deny basic tenets of the Christian faith. I get righteous anger. I feel like Jesus getting a whip of cord and going and clearing out the temple. I can't get mad at those who don't claim to follow Jesus, but those who claim to follow Jesus and deny aspects of the Christian faith, I get righteous anger. Do you? Those who deny the fact of Jesus' deity or his virgin birth, or his miracles, or the fact that Jesus was sinless, or his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Christians who claim those things, or Christians who say, well, we can't really know God's word. Is the Bible true? There's aspects of it, and they get very academic about it. They say, well, we don't really know what to believe. Or they deny biblical, these days, listen carefully, biblical sexuality, male, female. In the beginning, God made them male and female. This is the big contention right now, isn't it? And the churches go along with this. Brothers and sisters, this is very, very dangerous. And Paul the Apostle warns about this. Make a note of this, Romans chapter 1. Verse 32. This would apply to the situation that we're in. And this is a warning for the church today. Paul writes, they know God's justice. They know his justice requires that those who do those things deserve to die. Yet they do them anyway. Then he says, worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. Is that applicable for today? They're encouraging them in their sin and saying this is biblical. God is for this. God is not against this. And I would say this. 
that divine feminine goddess spirit is alive and well in the churches of Jesus Christ today. Or should I say not the churches of Jesus Christ today. Those who want to change from Abba Father to Abba Mother, which really doesn't make much sense. Rather saying, Brother Jesus, they're saying, Sister Jesus. Praying to Mother rather than the Father. Anything to change the ordinances of the living God. It's not the Holy Spirit that's alive in those churches. It's a demonic spirit. What, do you think, what spirit do you think is going to be alive in those churches that deny God, deny the aspect of the Father, deny the Son, deny the Holy Spirit, deny biblical truth, deny biblical marriage, when the whole Bible is about a marriage? You can see how the enemy sneaks in. So David has got righteous anger. And you know what? He's right to have it. But look, look how his brothers respond. Verse 28. Why did you come down here? Have you come down to see the battle? Why did you come down here? That's exactly what my brothers would say. You little squirt. What are you doing? He's the youngest. You've just come here to have a good old look. What's going on? You want to see us all have a scrap. I think my oldest brother would say this. What are you doing here? Get home. I think my middle brother might say, go on, James, you go after Goliath and I'll watch. (laughs) You remember I said last week, what's the worst that can happen? You go, James, you're the best. Anyhow, his brothers say the same thing. In fact, they go on even further. Look in verse 28. They say this, this young man who's full of the spirit of God, this one who's got an anointing on him, one who's got this righteous anger about this situation, about this uncircumcised Philistine. They say, I know your pride and the insolence of your heart. You're proud. That's the reason why you're here. But David is full of faith. Maybe you've had that situation in your life. Now, this report of this young, handsome, ginger, fiery David gets back to the king. And the king sends for him. This is what he says. I'm sure he admired him for his zeal. But he says, you are a youth. And he, Goliath, a man of war from his youth. What are you going to do? Let's read of David's response. I love this response. Consider David's life and whom he gives credit to. Verse 34. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. That's a man, not some of them. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. Now he's getting wound up again. But this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. 
See, he has defiled the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord will deliver me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear. He will deliver me out of the hand of this dirty Philistine. And King David said, along with my brother, go, and the Lord be with you. I like your zeal. I like your faith. I haven't got any of them in my camp. Go for it. All God's people said, Amen. very quietly. Now look, David is baffled. I'm sure he's baffled. All his life, he's been hearing stories of Yahweh the great deliverer. Yahweh the one in battle. Yahweh who gives us the victory and delivers out the hands of the Egyptian. The one who parts the sea. Uh, why are you not believing it? You've been telling me these stories all my life. Why are you up here on this hill cowering? Do you not believe? You've been telling me these stories from my youth. What's wrong with you? And I considered this week. And I was reminded of a story that I heard in Israel. There are stories in Israel which are a bit embellished. I will give it that. But I think it could have some credence. There was a young Ethiopian priest... And he was interviewed on telly about the Ark of the Covenant. For the Ethiopians have said that they've got the Ark of the Covenant. Did you know that? So if you want to know where it is, it's in Ethiopia. And they were kind of mocking the priest a bit. So he said, okay, well, I'll have a word with my elders and I'll put it on television next week. And he went and spoke to his elders. And apparently they haven't got it check out the story but this young priest in Ethiopia his whole life has been told we've got the Ark of the Covenant we've got the Ark of the Covenant trust your elders believe us I think David is in that same kind of mindset you get it David believed the Lord was with him do you believe the Lord is with you Do you believe that the Lord is with you? And that you have an anointing from the Holy One? This is good. Now, Saul said to David, Go and the Lord be with you. And then Saul put his armor on David. There's a whole sermon now. I'm not going to go into that. But let me say simply, this is not David's covering. The Lord is his covering. We are covered by the blood of the Lamb. We don't need anything else. Now, David, verse 14, took his staff in hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. And he put them in his shepherd's bag and in a pouch which he had, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to this Philistine. Five smooth stones from the brook. Consider these stones. They've been in the brook for years. They've had water over them for years. They've been bashing together for one another for years. And they've got smoothed off. Smoothed off. There's another word for this. 
you know what the word is? Fellowship. We are to be washed with the word of God. And we come together and bash heads. Those hard edges that we become smooth. They've been in there for years. Were they useful that day? Useful enough for the anointed king of Israel to put his hand into the water and draw them out. That smooth stone which had been there for many years is about to be used by him in God's timing when it was smooth enough, when it was picked. You understand what I'm getting at? Maybe some of you have sat here for years. Is God going to use me? Maybe you've been sat here for years. Am I smooth enough? No one's ever smooth enough. But the importance of the bashing together, the importance of coming together to worship, the importance of having the word of God washed over us is paramount to our Christian walk. You see that? But you can say, wow, was he a man of faith? Why did he choose five? Because Goliath had four sons. Did you know that? Write the scripture down. 2 Samuel 21, 22. He knows that he's going to take this man out because he has faith and belief in the God of Israel. And so typical in the Middle East that they will avenge their father's death. And David is prepared. Love it. 2 Samuel 21, 22. But now comes the face off. Here it comes. Israel have got their man. The Philistines man has been there for 40 days now ready for it. So down into the valley they went. Drawing nearer to one another. It would have been a very tense moment. Both armies looking down as their men go down the valley together. David, a man of music and a man of poetry, was probably saying these words. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Amen? That's what we should have. Now, Goliath saw David. It says he had disdain for him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. And this is what he says, 1742. Goliath says, am I a dog that you come out to me with sticks? And then he cursed him by his gods. You see, this is a supernatural war. It's calling upon his God. Then David said to Goliath, let's just read from verse 45. And I'll be breaking it up in part. He says this, this is King David, he's anointed of God, he's seemingly on his own. But those who are in the army of God are never alone. He says this, you come to me with sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts and the God of the armies of Israel 
whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you that all the earth may know there is a God in Israel. Amen? Ah, oh, what a man. Love it. David then puts his hand in the bag and draws out a stone. One of those smooth stones that have been in a brook for years. Puts it in his sling and off it goes. Bang, straight into his forehead. In fact, embedded into his forehead. Verse 49. Brilliant. First shot, the man straight down. Like a sack of spuds. Everyone's cheering. David's won. But David wants to complete the mission. He goes running over. He doesn't have a sword himself, just a sling. And he pulls out Goliath's sword and off with his head. What happened? The Philistines saw the champion was dead and fled. End of story. David, full of faith, full of zeal and righteous anger, seeing his church defiled, understanding the power, having faith and belief in the living God, goes out. But let me ask you a question. Do you reckon he was at all fearful? I reckon there was a little bit of fear. Now, many times, and we finish with this, the Bible tells us to fear, sorry, fear not. But let's admit it, we all have a certain amount of fear. But the Bible says this, listen carefully. It says, take courage. Fear not, however, take courage. Courage. Pick up courage. Take on courage. Now, courage is not the absence of fear, but it's the ability to overcome fear. You see that? So if you feel fearful, you need to take up courage. You need to put on courage. Here's an example. Many who learn to swim, they do so because of a fear of drowning. But if you want to do this, you've got to get in the you've got to get in the water. If you want to come over your fears or overcome your fears, you need to get into the battle. So don't feel discouraged if you feel fearful. But the Bible says, put on courage. Now David did not fight Goliath in his own strength. If he would have done this, he would have failed. That's why these pictures at the beginning are wrong. He's not the underdog, is he? That's the armies of God with him. And David is able to carry out God's will because he is filled with the Spirit. And David didn't go in his own name, but he went in the name of the Lord of hosts. And this is why David became Goliath's worst nightmare. And if we are to take up courage... And if we are filled with the Spirit, and if we are walking in the ways of God, the Goliaths in our life 
Well, you'll be their nightmare. To know what authority that we can walk in, but we have to walk in it. Because the trials are going to come. The demonic and spiritual attack will come. We have promised. The persecution will come. However, take up courage and fear not, says the Lord. 